Hello, everybody, and welcome back into Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter. Rachel and I are back to talk about Chapter 17, the final chapter in the Philosopher's Stone. Deal is the same. If you're on this episode and you don't know what the rules are, it's fine. You should probably know what the rules are, though. Uh, we're spoiling everything. Harry Potter's been out forever. This is a retrospective look back. We are not able to contain ourselves, so go and watch and read all the Harry Potter you want to watch or read before listening to this podcast. And there's adult content. Look, this is not it's not a podcast for kids. The people in this book, they're kids, but the podcast is not for kids. So please do not <laughs> listen to this podcast in front of your children. If you choose to do that, we can't stop you, but we don't recommend it. Rachel, are you ready for chapter 17? I was born ready for chapter 17. All right. Well, here is my recap of what happened in chapter 17, which may or may not be what actually happened in chapter 17. This one's called The Man with Two Faces. Harry enters the final room of this challenge course and is surprised that Quirrell is the big bad and not Snape. Despite this and being directly told exactly what Snape's deal is, Harry will continue to think Snape is trying to kill him for six more books. Fucking great wizard, am I right? Harry is doing really well against Quirrell, but gets bailed up by deus ex magic because Quirrell forgot to ask the question, what's love got to do with it? Voldy kills Quirrell, and Harry wakes up in the hospital wing to give Dumbledore a chance to drop like 17 of the best quotes of all time in a single sitting. There's a feast to end the year where Slytherin gets absolutely screwed out of the trophy, and we learn once again that exams don't matter at all because even Hammerhead Goyle can pass them. That's my recap. And Dursley d intimidates some people at a train station. That's my recap. Yeah. I mean, it about covers it. I was, I, I was laughing out loud when I was like, <laughs> oh, he forgot to ask what's love got to do with it. I was like singing the song in my head and everything. Oh, I had to cover my mouth so I didn't interrupt you. I just like how when we started, it was like a pretty faithful retelling of what happened in the chapter. And here at the end, we're just memeing. Yeah, I mean, that is kind of what happened. If Voldemort had asked the question, what's love got to do with it? He would have done better this chapter, I think. He would have done better overall. <laughs> it just might not have gotten fucking killed in the first place, would he? <laughs> to be fair. Yeah, this is an important question. Okay. Should a Hogwarts professor have been fired this chapter? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you're you're yeah, you're, I mean, you're going on a rampage more than I am on this one. Uh, uh yeah, I just for quarrel for obvious reasons, you can't make a a body sharing agreement with the dark lord i kind of thought death was being fired i thought like you know once you've once you've been killed my my firing you from your job is kind of like it's insult to injury you already got killed okay so it, by the end of this chapter we have to decide is death getting fired or is death life's next great adventure All right, that's, <laughs> it's one of the two <laughs> Oh boy! I think for Quirrell, um, it's getting fired. I don't know if yeah. I don't know if death is his next great adventure. I don't think he's gonna like where he goes. But um, yeah, you can't try to kill a student. You can't. Yeah, that's that fair. That's a good e rule for firing. teachers. If you're trying to murder the yeah. students, you're fired. It's just you gotta know that man. And then uh, Dumbledore. It, honestly, just for agreeing to have the stone at the school for the in the first place. I know the reasons. I know, like, people are going to tell me it makes sense because he's, like, the strongest wizard, so he should have it to protect it. And obviously Gringotts wasn't going to work. I'm like, no, 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 no. It puts all of the children in danger, especially your stupidest ones. Yeah. This? I'm also going to fire Dumbledore. I left Quirrell off just because I thought death was enough. But mm. Dumbledore, we have to talk about this. 
so we learn eventually that this is all part of some big fucking plan. And Harry kind of figures it out in this chapter where he's like, I think Dumbledore wanted me to go and find the thing. He needs to be fired for all quarrel related activities. If he mm. knew that Quirrell was Voldemorty, right? And yeah. was going to be going after the stone and putting all the students in danger. And that he, he knew that was happening and his plan was to send Harry to go and find him. He needs to be fired because despite all that, he's still left for London anyway. Right? Like he is, he is like getting on the broomstick because flu powder hasn't been invented. Knowing full well that Quirrell and Voldemort are going to go look for this. You know what I mean? So he, that's mm. one option in which he needs to be fired. Or he's the dumbest motherfucker on the planet and just has no <laughs> clue what's going on, in which case he is not suitable to be the headmaster of the school or just unsuited to be making important decisions like hiding secret objects in the school. Like If you're not smart enough to do that, you just need to stick to being an administrator of, a, of a, an education facility. <laughs> Right. So double yeah. needs to be fired for one of two reasons, either being so, so, so stupid, which I don't believe, or for concocting this entire plan and then leaving the second he needs to be there to see it through because he barely saved Harry and he knew that that was going to be necessary. So, yeah, Dumbledore's getting fired. Yeah, no, it, it checks out. I'm not going to argue with you. It's it just. Harry's the main character, and we want him to do all the exciting stuff, so we don't argue. But when you look at it from an administrative perspective, Dumbledore's a fucking nightmare. Yeah, yeah, he's, he is, he for the world's greatest headmaster, he's, he has some room for improvement. When we get to his year-end review, we can suggest some professional development. Don't have the Dark Lord be a teacher. That's a good one. Yeah. Don't send the 11 year olds to deal with the teacher it whether or not you know they're the dark lord don't send the 11 year olds to deal with that situation yeah and if you are going to send the 11 year olds based on your protection you should be there those are three things that i would say we can improve on for the next go round. yeah i would also say like if you find out midway through the year that the dark lord's there fire them do something about right, it. That's also true. Yeah. That's another good point, Rachel. It is really fun when adults pick apart a kid's book. <laughs> you can just, yeah. Because I remember being 11 and just being like, it's so fucking cool, man. Dumbledore's awesome yeah. and Harry's awesome and everyone's awesome. Yeah, like I said, we want Harry to do all the cool things. So this gave me what I wanted. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> you can't justify it. No, it not at all. Okay, alternative chapter titles. What do you got? Okay, I changed mine just now because um, I remember Ooh, that snuck I it right it. in before you have to commit. Yeah. So originally what I had was I'm not going home. Not really. Because uh, that's, that's from the movies. And it always like makes me tear up because I'm that person. Um, but I decided to change it to the next great adventure. That's great. It's very thematic. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's just wrapping up this story, but you can tell immediately from talking to Dumbledore uh, and then from Harry and Ron and Hermione all talking about the next year, there's more to come. I, oh, I will get to it. I love so fucking much that they're all like, dude, next year is going to be so normal. It's going to be so <laughs> chill. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Nothing weird is going to happen. It's going to be great. Like, there's so full of optimism. 
They have no, they just don't understand what's happening. Uh, I went with something similarly thematic and thoughtful. Uh, Two faces, zero riz. (laughs) That's what I went with, because Quirrell and Voldemort between them have no riz. None at all. Zero. Just a bunch of of schmucks. They don't even have one riz. I don't know how to numerically, I don't know how to numerically count riz. I just went with zero because two faces had a number in it. Yeah, and two uh, faces, yeah. no Riz, and then I don't have to think about how to numerically count it. Mm. But it's yeah, because Voldemort's supposed to have like seduced half the Wizarding world into following his cause. How could he not convince an eleven-year-old that he's changed his ways? Yeah, he he's just, just to be alive again. Both of them come across as people you wouldn't want to hang out with, you know? No, right? Like, there's I'm people you want to either be them or want to be with them. And for Voldemort and Quirrell, it's like I don't want to be you or be near you. Or want you to exist, really? Like, <laughs> like there's just it just never ends, and so yeah, no riz. It's so funny though. So I think we talked about this before. I don't think you've ever seen a very Potter musical. Kind of, but not really. Okay, so this is for everyone listening. It's like three hours, and it's on YouTube, and the quality is not fantastic. But it is a college production of Harry Potter, and they made it a musical, and they made it hilarious. Um, and I don't want to spoil it because it's my favorite. But just basically wait until Quirrell and Voldemort get there because it's possibly the best reveal that I've ever seen. So I'll the, ho- the homework for there. the audience first is to <laughs> leave a review of the podcast, but only if it's mm-hmm. five stars, and mm-hmm. then it's to go watch a very Potter musical. Yes. Okay. On YouTube, not great quality, but it's funny. Yes. You will forgive it because it's it's honestly the best. Gotcha. Once you watch, you it, watch it, audience, once you watch it, email let's dive deep pod at gmail.com. And let don't let me know what you thought. Let Rachel know what you thought, because <laughs> I don't know what to think about it. It's my favorite. What? I still quote it. Just in your <laughs> life? Just day to day? I think I've explained to you, but my um my sure gamer tag. My gamer tag is from a very Oh, you have like four times. Yeah. I just yeah. it's so funny. It's just because it's just because I can't get over that it's not from the other thing that I think is cool yeah. about your name that I, I just can't. Yeah. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. So I keep forgetting because I don't want to believe that there's another reason you picked your name. <laughs> but that's okay. All right, we're gonna get into this chapter. For the audience that doesn't know what the gamer tag is, I'm not telling you, so too bad. All right. <laughs> Uh, I just originally, uh, when I read this chapter, I've read it like a hundred times. I'd never once thought about it for right now, but, uh, since the last time I read it, uh, I've watched a lot of film for the Oscars last year and a lot of films for the Oscars this year. So I'm in like an awards mindset. It would be difficult to pretend to have a stutter convincingly for an entire year. Like that is impressive stuff. Mm-hmm. Professor Quirrell for all of his n- zero charisma is a good actor. He has convinced a lot of people that he's actually has, has a stutter and has maintained that fiction for an entire year. That's a lot to do. It's going to get usurped by Barty Crouch's impersonation of Moody for an entire year, which is more impressive. But this was a good a good first start. That was, was a good deal. Yeah, and it's so menacing, too. Like, I'll never forget in the movie, because that's the easier way to have it presented to you, I guess, is he turns around and he doesn't stutter and your stomach just drops and you're like, oh, fuck, it's different now. Um, but yeah, just the. 
you'd have to like completely change how you talk just to do that for a yeah, it, yeah i it's be really difficult i was really impressed yeah. by Quirrell this time around uh, the first thing that happens is we get a general villain monologue we get to learn all that we can stop and point out whatever we want to point out but generally what's happening is Quirrell's telling us all the shit that happened and harry's like whoa what because he's 11 <laughs> and we're the audience and he's our avatar and we don't know what's going on uh, so we learned that it wasn't Snape that was trying to kill him and that it was Quirrell and that Snape was actively trying to save him, not only at the first Quidditch match, but then subsequently with the refereeing, which Harry will definitely remember and take into account the next time he has to have feelings about Snape. Uh, so that's cool. Harry's not going to forget this for no reason. Um, and then we learn, <laughs> we learn that the other teachers <laughs> weren't in on it, obviously. So they just thought Snape was being a homer for Slytherin, which was also quite funny. I like how that was thrown in there. Uh, we get a bunch of things from Harry, like a bunch of little clever bits where Harry, uh, he's taking the easy wins. Like these are easy things to figure out and do, but he's doing them. He's quite clever. He's figuring out to keep Quirrell distracted so he can't, uh, he can't spend too much time with the mirror and then Quirrell starts dropping just just the quotes of all time there is no good and evil only power like fuck yeah like the, the writing in this yeah. chapter is so good only only power and those too weak to seek it yeah i even left off yeah. half the quote and it's good without the back half which it just it's it's such a i love that quote because it's such kind of a reversal of what you usually expect it's like kind of what dumbledore says in the seventh book something along the lines of like power is is best suited to those who don't look for it yeah and they find it thrust upon them so i i just and, but then every like hero monologue that you get where it's just like good and evil exists and like you only like power corrupts absolutely and then you finally get the villain turning around and being like you just don't have power because you're a bitch <laughs> and i loved that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like, there's power, there's good, and there's evil, and you're a weak motherfucker, Harry, so get out of here. <laughs> like, I'm finding this, this stuff. Dabbing on <laughs> yeah. an 11-year-old. <laughs> yeah, I also imagine this, like, it, the way it works in the movie is a little different, but I also imagine him almost like an old grandmother. Like, he's trying to shit-talk Harry, and Harry's being an annoying, you can't see what I'm doing, uh, audience listening, but Rachel can. And I imagine he's like looking under the mirror and like knocking on the top of it. And like, you know what I mean? Like he's <laughs> wandering around in circles, like poking and pressing at things. And then occasionally he turns and he's like, shut the fuck up, man. Like, I'm trying to figure this out. And so I imagine him as yeah. kind of like an old grandmother looking for like a small object on the, the sill of their fireplace or something. And that brought me a lot of joy when I was reading it this time. I liked it because usually villain monologues feel really out of place because it's supposed to be like this big showdown. I liked it here because Quirrell is so much stronger than Harry in almost every way. He's an adult. He is an actual graduated wizard, I assume, from Hogwarts. He also has knowledge of the dark arts. It's not like those villain monologues with like, ah, oh, you got me monologuing, and then they get beat up because they were distracted. Like, Quirrell doesn't need to actively pay attention to Harry. He can monologue all the fuck he wants. Yeah, so I, th I think, I was... too, there's a subtle writing thing here that makes it easier to handle, right? So when I read this the yeah. first time, I hadn't lo listened or read or watched a lot of villain monologues, but now we all have mm -hmm. watched a million because it's just fun to yeah. have them. 
And so yeah. the subtle bit of writing that I think makes it work really well is the, the beginning of this monologue are just direct responses to Harry's questions. Like it's, it's Harry trying to keep him distracted that's bringing these things up and Coral is yeah. responding to those. Like he's not taking any additional time to monologue, right? Like he is trying to find the stone and Harry just won't shut up. And he's yeah. like, but you tried to kill me at Quidditch. And he's like, stupid boy, I did not. Are you, you know what I mean? Like that's what he's trying to, that's what he's trying to do. And so he is responding to Harry instead of monologuing on his own, which is a mm -hmm. subtle writing change that I think makes it easier. Yeah, I just think, I, I think reading it back, reading it now, it's kind of funny how they go through like each and every instance where Harry assumed it was Snape. Um, you'd assume if Coral had a little more control of the conversation, he would tell it in a bit more of a like linear chronological. Thank you. Yes, he would do that like consecutively. He would go through yeah. it. Um, but no, he's it's just kind of he doesn't mention anything that Harry didn't see, which I think is funny. Because that's all we're, like all that J.K. wants us to know at the time are the things that Harry saw. I did like their like the reaction of Quirrell when Harry was like, "But I heard you talking to Snape in the classroom. You were crying," and Quirrell's like, "Oh fuck, no, he doesn't know. Oh shit." And <laughs> uh, I'm taking that as confirmation that Voldemort was yelling through the turban at Quirrell. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That has to be what yeah. was happening there. Yeah. Um, I'm going to point it out. And this, this book is it's well written. And we're, I think this chapter might be the most <laughs> well written in terms of just banger lines. There might be a dozen of them in this chapter. Like if there's one thing JK mm -hmm. is good at, it's just delivering just line after line of amazing, memorable, iconic dialogue. And that's great. However, we need... She needs to stop doing this. And to be fair, I think she does in the rest of the Harry Potter books. We'll see. I don't remember it coming up again. Um, heaven forbid you ever read Bridgerton. Please don't. But if you do, <laughs> if you do, like Julia Quinn does it as well. It's just authors, authors out there. If you want to have different perspectives, that's so cool. In Outlander, if you're with Claire, it's from first person. If you're with anyone else, third person, consistent, wonderful. So you get both types of perspectives, but attached to people separately. Great. If you're Game of Thrones, you're hopping character to character. So it's all first person, right? I guess sometimes third person, but there's a lot more first person. But like the chapter title is the character you're with. So you can stick with it. Harry, just going into first person for three paragraphs and then jumping back out of it was so distracting this time, it actively made me grumpy while I was... Re I've read this chapter 57 times, and it hasn't been distracting before, but I feel like I may be more well-read now, and it was so distracting this time, I was very upset. I was like... Because you can just write it... Harry felt like he had to keep Voldemort distracted, and you know what I mean? Like you just keep it in the same perspective you're already in, and yeah. it's great. And it was weird to me that she's just like, whoop, first person, whoop, never mind. Yeah, so for context, I, I have the, the page here, but it's like, Harry's mind was racing. What I want more than anything oh, else in the world, even when you in, do <laughs> in the moment, he thought, is to find the stone. I thought, okay, I had a theory, it might just be an editing error, if they'd put the little quotes the way they did for some of Harry's other thoughts, um, then I think it might have worked. I apologize for Pippin in the background. He has thoughts about the editing, too. Um 
Yeah, I think if they had just put it in quotes, it would have been fine because I've kind of accepted that the whole way through. But yeah, it was it was a little awkward. And I did notice that also. <laughs> yeah, because the it's because it just jumped so suddenly because the line is Harry's mind was racing. Uh, it, it wasn't my mind was racing because I'm in the first person. And I have a mind that can race and I can tell you about yeah. it in the first person. It's yeah. yeah. Harry's mind was racing third person. Wonderful. Let's stick there. Just kidding. Let's not go there. Let's go all around the, the, all the different types of people and their perspectives before we circle back in three paragraphs. It was weird. Yeah. I didn't like it. Yeah. So if you are a person who never noticed point of view jumping before, I'm very sorry if you start to notice it now. Yeah, I, I've never noticed yeah. it, but the 97 times, because I read these books every <laughs> January. So I already read them this January and the January before this. This is the second time this year I've read this book just on its own. Mm. And I never noticed until this time. So most people probably wouldn't. But now we've ruined this chapter for people, which is great. That's what this <laughs> podcast is all That's about. Uh, we get the face reveal, which is so cool and so intimidating. And it's so funny mm. because as an adult, it has the lines like, and Quirrell started walking backwards toward Harry. <laughs> <And> you just <laughs> imagine him like trying to figure out like he wants to turn left. So he's got to go right. You know what I mean? Like trying to figure yeah. out how to figure out. Yeah. So the walking backwards was so funny. And then Voldemort, like we get this first iconic description of him looking like a snake. Right, which isn't a big deal yet. Like this is the first time we are hearing mm -hmm. it, and and then from there we get to piece all this together. Like at the beginning of this, is it this book where they go to the zoo and he talks to the snake? Yeah, yeah, it's, like the it's yeah, it's like chapter. the fourth or fifth chapter. Sorry, I'm just getting because he talks to the snake at the duel in the next book. So I just want to, yeah. Mm -hmm. So like he's, we already know Harry's talked to a snake, right? And we're like, you're get to piece all this like snake imagery, and we know Slytherin's mascot is a snake. We know Voldemort looks like a snake. And these are all kind of separate delineated snake things that are all going to come together wonderfully. And that first description was so cool. Yeah, and so menacing. It's just scary. Anytime a person, is, it's like you're expecting someone to look humanoid and then something is like vaguely off about them. I find that so spooky. And the, the scene in the movie, I know we're talking about the books, but when I finally saw it in the movie, that was like nightmare fuel. I think just a just a really good reveal too, because I think the mechanism of having to slowly unravel the turban. Also funny to think about. Yeah. <laughs> like just wait. I promise you, it's intimidating. I'm, I'm, I'm getting I'll there. I'll fucking kill you, you. And you're all just wait a second. <laughs> this work, it's gonna go down, but you gotta give me a minute. As I mean, Harry's tied up. He's not going anywhere. Yeah, so yeah, so that's just like there's the, those little lines to bring levity into it. I think more as an adult, mm -hmm. I don't think I found any of that funny as a kid, but when you're reading it for the 57th time as an mm -hmm. adult, like you get a chance to just enjoy the quarrel having to walk backwards and you're like having to undo the fucking thing 20 times before yeah. he... And like just the way he's like knocking and like looking around at the mirror is something I enjoyed more this time than any other time. Uh, so that was yeah. cool. Uh, we learn that old Lord, Lord Voldemort, he's a bit of a homie. He's a bit of a homie. He is describing what's happening and what happened to Harry's parents and all the rest. And he goes out of his way to make sure Harry knows his dad put up a good fight, which is not true. His dad got fucking owned. He didn't even have his wand. Voldemort shows up. The Potters got betrayed. James, Lily, not ready. Lily does the whole sacrifice thing. That's her move. James's move, he didn't even have a chance to make a move. He got to the chessboard, like clicked his clock and then fell down and died. Like it was, yeah. So it was I nice mean, for like, Voldemort in this moment, or because JK hadn't written it yet. 
It was nice for him to... Because he... If I am the Dark Lord and I'm trying to kill this 11-year-old, I'm not stopping for ways and means about how I killed. I'd be like, your dad sucked and mm. I killed him and your mom sucked and I killed her, you know? But he does stop to add this little bit of shine on James Potter, which was not... Turns out not to be true at all. I mean... Maybe he's more saying is like really annoying to get to James to kill him. Yeah, I mean he put up a good time. maybe that's fair. He put up a good fight in general. Yeah, because yeah, from what I understand, Voldemort just finally walked into Godric's Hall and was like pew pew. Yeah, pew. once once the secret got revealed, it was game over. GG. You know, like that Danny DeVito meme where that's he's just exactly. like, anyway, it just started <laughs> blasting. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Um, we get Voldemort and Quirrell trying to kill Harry, but Rachel, mm -hmm. it turns out that you can't, you can't kill Harry, even though you think it would be very easy for the Dark Lord attached to an adult wizard to kill an 11 yes. year old. You think yes. that'd be possible. Do you know why we can't kill Harry Potter? Why can't we kill Harry Potter? Love, Rachel. Love. Is the reason we can't kill this 11 year old <laughs> because apparently the way love manifests is not when anyone, t it's just when, when, when there's a certain, like, it's so weird to think about when, when someone has sufficiently bad intentions that the magic love meter registers it as hatred. Mm. If you t then touch a person who is loved, the love is like, <laughs> no, 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 no. We shall fucking burn you alive. That's what we're going to do. So I just, I got really confused about the magic in this moment. I prefer not to think about it because it's really funny and cool. However, this is, this is Deus Ex magic. I've read all these books a hundred times. I don't think even after all my knowledge of magic after book seven, I can retroactively figure out what on earth is going on here? Because it's not everyone that touches Harry. And it's not just bad people. Like in the book five, like Lucius grabs Harry's arm and stuff. Yeah. There's no burnage there. Right. And this is before Voldemort has taken any of Harry's blood in book four. So they're kind of more separate entities. But anyways, ta-da. <laughs> Harry's got love, yeah. baby. <laughs> you can't be I love think... if you're a dark lord attached to an idiot. Yeah, I think... I And anyways, I think it being love is just a is just Dumbledore's theory like I don't think we we actually get confirmation of what it is Dumbledore is just like the smartest wizard ever so he says it and we're like oh okay I think true. that must be it I because I can't then retroactively but, look now and apply a different thing of magic to what yeah. it could have been but I think it makes sense that it would be some sort of like ancient like I want to say like almost primordial magic that has nothing to do with casting and like love and sacrifice and all things that Voldemort doesn't understand. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it would just be specific to like the caster of the person who kind of caused the harm. Yeah. I think my overall opinion, I'll spoil some of my opinions for book three or four or whenever we learn about five, maybe whenever we learn about this in like in the Canon, uh, mm -hmm. My overall opinion on the love magic is it's easily the worst and clunkiest part of magic that kind of gets mm -hmm. Harry through. And a lot of it is applied retroactively because it would clearly wasn't well thought out in this book. You know what I mean? Like it has to. Yeah. Right. And I, I think what JK does so well as a writer is create new magic that doesn't seem out of like 
like what it feels like is happening is we're discovering new magic as we get older and more experienced which mm -hmm. is a writing style like the way the characters are aging can cover up jk having to invent new magic to solve problems in her narrative right but because yeah. the because the kids are growing up and having a new understanding every year it can kind of just get filed under well of course they wouldn't know this magic they were 11. but this whole love magic is the same when they first start to describe that because lily sacrificed herself to save harry but we have to figure out like, exactly what sacrifice means because it doesn't seem like magic mm -hmm. people do often right so it's like mm -hmm. it's just a pure love-based sacrifice then that protection goes over to her sister because of blood but not magical but, but like the blood doesn't carry the magic because petunia is not magical petunia is a muggle mm -hmm. so but because it's the same but so it jumps over to petunia i don't want to think about it too much and then it yeah. applies specifically to like the zoned property of 20 yeah, of, or four privet drive but as yeah. like zoned by the city or is it the structure of the building? Like if Harry's in the back garden, is he unsuggy, right? Like it, it's not really clear and it's kind of retroactively applied. And it's just, I feel like what happened is at some point in book three or four, an editor was like, why the fuck doesn't he just go to the house and kill him? Like what's Dursley, what is Dudley Dursley gonna do, right? Like why? And she's like, oh shit, yeah, that's a great point. Like how are we gonna make it so that house is Say, or an editor was like, why do you keep sending Harry to live with the assholes when he could be going to hang out with Ron? And she's like, oh, yeah. I have done that four or five times, haven't I? Like, <laughs> well, I don't know. So I think that's how the love magic works is it's kind of the clunkiest mm -hmm. retroactively applied magic. And I think mm -hmm. that's what's happening here. However, I don't want it to take away from this story. It's a magical story. And I, when you read a magical story, you have to allow yourself to just sometimes be like, and eh, it's magic. We don't need to know how it works because it's magic. Right, like in Star Wars, once they start trying to explain the Force, it gets worse. Right, like once yeah. they start getting into midichlorians and all that bullshit, you're like, oh, this is way worse. I preferred when it was just this is the Force and it'll just does what we want to yeah. do. Right, and so I don't want to take away because I think it works really well. However, part of my job in this podcast is, I think, to analyze the writing of the story. And I think in this case, the more you think about it, the more your brain just twists into a pretzel to understand how the love sacrifice magic specifically works. Yeah, I think for me, it just made me sad. And so I didn't think about it. You're like, oh, that's so sweet. That's, yeah, that's really nice. And then I moved on because I didn't want to confront my feelings about it. Yeah, I got a couple more points on Voldemort here before we move on. Uh, just very good lore stuff that gets moved mm -hmm. in here. Just really quickly, really seamlessly. We get like, the, the line that really struck me was Voldemort describing that he was just vapor kind of like flying around until he found a body to attach to. And that's a great example of magic where I don't need to know how that works. That's just cool. Mm. Like the fact that like now we're asking all of these questions and we have like a, a narrative mystery going on. Like, but how is he vapor? Like, why was he not killed? Like, why was he vapor? You know what I mean? And like, and like, mm. and then when she invents horcruxes to account, like to account for this, it seamlessly yeah. blends in. Like she is really good at kind of inventing new stuff later to account for things she's already done. The Horcruxes are the best example, I think. And the mm -hmm. love magic is the worst example. But <laughs> here it's like, yeah, like I, I know how this happened and I'm so interested and it seamlessly fits into what we learned about Horcruxes Hor later. And it's just very yeah. well done. I like that. And I think if I can go further back in time, I think like the whole scene leading up to like the unwrapping of the turban, I think was so well done. 
I know we clown on Harry for being kind of an idiot, but figuring out so quickly how to get the stone, 10 out of 10, strategic thinking. Yeah, like, he under pressure too. He takes the again, he's taking the easy wins. But mm. he's taking them and he's doing the whole thing. So yeah, it was wonderful. But but even if like he's not doing it the most graceful way, like he still he sees the problem in front of him. He gets fucking tied up by magic ropes. He still doesn't stop trying. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great effort yeah. from Harry. <laughs> yeah. And it's and kind then... of what's great about Harry's effort is it's not magical. Which is great because that's what we like mm -hmm. about Harry. Because last chapter, when Hermione's like, "You're a great wizard," it's like, "I'm, I'm still sticking with that. that's not true at all." But he's a cool person, and he's like brave and dedicated, <laughs> and like as a person, he absolutely yeah. kind of goes at this problem with all of the courage and bravery and all the rest of the stuff you need, despite the. Because all again, this is another chapter where Harry's none of what Harry accomplishes has anything to do with him being good at anything. Like he, mm. he sees the problem with the mirror. And he knows he needs to distract Quirrell, but he doesn't know that when he looks into it, he's going to get the stone in his pocket, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, he kind of does. He figures that out. He absolutely does not figure it out. That no, he, he does figure it out. He just doesn't believe it'll work. No, 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 no. You and I read yeah. a different chapter. He He's figured half of it out. He knows that he needs to look in the mirror because if he's looking in the mirror... He may or may not get the stone, and it may distract Voldemort. And it's just a better option, right? But he doesn't look at the mirror and go, "Ah, yes, Dumbledore has bewitched this so that only people who would want the stone." Like he doesn't know the whole shit. He's got halfway there, and then does it, and then and then it works, which is great. But he's not. Yeah. But it's not because he's specifically good at magic or he's specifically good at anything. It's because he knows that he doesn't want Quirrell to look at the mirror. And he knows him looking at it is the better option because maybe he'll figure out a way to get the stone. And then because of Dumbledore's magic, he never needs to figure it out because it just appears in his pocket. So Harry's doing all the stuff fully, but it's not his magical ability that gets him over the line. It's his courage and his bravery and the rest of it, which is what, what I like about Harry. That's what I want. I think Harry was very clever. I think he legit says it. I think what he wants more than anything in that that phrase, that paragraph that we hate, because it's in the first person. He says, what I want more than anything is to find the stone before a coral. So if I look in the mirror before a coral, I should be able to find it. And I mean, like, he's not going to necessarily know where it gets put. Like, it was kind of random that it ended up in his pocket. But I, I, I fully chalked that up to his cleverness because he knows how the mirror works and not by accident, I don't think. I'm going to disagree. I, I don't feel like Harry understands how the mirror works at all. Like, not in the way Dumbledore's bewitched it. He knows how it works in, in the sense that, like, he knows when he looks at it, he will see himself receiving the stone because that is what he wants most in the world. And we learned that in the Mirror of Erisid chapter. But he doesn't know that him seeing himself receiving the stone in the mirror will then give him the stone outside of the mirror. He doesn't understand how that bewitchment specifically worked. It's just a lucky shot that takes courage and bravery. And it works. And I think that's great. That's what I like about Harry. I am I am I'm somehow sounding so negative. I am siding with this choice. <laughs> this is the better choice. It would have been a worse story if Harry just knew how all the magic worked. Yeah, I mean, like the the how was uh, how he was going to get the stone rather shot in the dark, but like the method, I think he had a pretty good idea. Yeah, I think we're saying the same oh. thing differently because I yeah. agree with that statement. He doesn't know but the then, how, but he just knows that he wants to look at the mirror because that's more helpful than Cora looking at the mirror. Mm. 
I think we're still disagreeing. Okay. But that's okay. Doesn't matter. I want I also wanted to mention but, but like the weird disembodied voice being like, he's lying. He's fucking lying. Get him. That was like the scariest thing in this book for me. Interesting. Like scene, yeah, it's what's well, so menacing. Yeah, I he, think I think maybe it wasn't as menacing for me now because again, this is a great Horcrux example too. When she invents Occlumency later, it's a perfect mm -hmm. tie into that. Right. And so mm -hmm. now that I've read kind of the more scary occlumency stuff that happens later, I'm kind of like, oh, occlumency. Yeah. And it's just it, it's just in that moment, Harry's like deepest fear is that Quirrell figures out he's got the stone in his pocket. And just as he's thinking, I need to get out or I'm going to die. Voldemort's just like, he's lying. He's yeah, got I think it. it's actually scarier in the movie because in the movie, it's like yeah. straight up. It's in his pocket. And you're like, Bah! Yeah. It, so I thought that was really, really well done. Like the tension in this scene was great, even for how relatively quick it was. It was only a couple pages. Yeah, it's a very short chapter. I, I think you wrote somewhere it could have been six chapters. And I agree yeah. with that. Like it, it's really effective as one chapter. It could have been longer for sure. Yeah. And then, OK, one other thing that Voldemort says, and we're, we're doubling back to the love magic. Um, he says, yeah, James put up a good fight. Then he says Lily died in vain. It's been 11 years and he still doesn't get it. Like, <laughs> that's Lily, my point. Is what, Lily, how, how is he supposed to get this love magic thing? I don't even understand it. It's been explained to me. Yeah, but like, also, it, she literally threw herself in front of him to keep her, keep him from getting Harry. And if she hadn't done that, he would have been able to kill Harry. Yeah, I so think I think there's literally a... did not die in vain. No, so she didn't because specifically of the love magic thing. Yeah, that I am. I'm going to argue that Voldemort was probably because later he's going to own it like a mistake. But I don't like. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, let's talk about this in book four when he comes back in okay. the graveyard. But I think yeah, there yeah. is a greater. Now. <laughs> there is a greater thing to talk about here where mm -hmm. it, in terms of perspective, right? Excluding mm -hmm. the love magic. Excluding the love magic, which is we'll call an unknown for everyone involved. I don't think it was reasonable for Voldemort to have known that that love magic existed. That's fine, mm -hmm. right? There, you can argue it both ways. You could argue it from like a more empathetic, maternal kind of looking out for other people perspective, where you're like a mother sacrificing herself to keep her child alive is not at all dying in vain. That's a worthy sacrifice for a mother to make. Mm -hmm in general regardless in the real world separate from magic in this world there is another there is another perspective you could take of voldemort's right where once you exclude the love magic and how it worked out there is a reasonable perspective as well one that i disagree with but one that i think is reasonable where it's like look man you don't gotta die i don't want to kill you i'm, I'm here to kill this baby and i'm gonna kill yeah. it i can either just kill the baby or i can kill you and the baby so we're just doing math here because like, again, without the magic, you have to pretend like Harry's going to die here, right? To Voldemort, mm -hmm. he's going to kill this baby and there's nothing Lily can do to stop him from killing the baby. And so mathematically, it's like, what are you doing? Like, why mm -hmm. would you like this baby's yeah. going to die in five minutes? Harry's going to be dead and you're just yeah. choosing whether you also want to be dead, you know? And mm -hmm. I think when you do the math kind of coldly from that perspective, from someone like Voldemort, who is not interested in other people and who is more selfish and who's a lot more vain and who has no 
paternal or maternal or parental instincts at all, right? Like, I think you can make an argument. Like, if I was in debate club, I mm. love taking the perspective I disagree with. I would love to take that perspective of, like, it's the love magic that makes that takes away the vanity. The rest is just perspective, yeah. I think. Yeah, no. Like, let barring, like, parental instincts, he has no human instincts. So it makes sense that the, the math just wouldn't add up. He would just expect them to give him the baby and be yeah. like, oh, yeah to him it's like to him i understand why he thinks she died in vain because he doesn't understand the love magic so to him it's just a math equation he's like why did you die i wasn't here to kill you like you, yeah. i was just here to kill the i was just killing the baby <laughs> that was gonna happen anyway so you just chose so i can see a perspective in which you would think that or i mean lily's also a muggleborn. he may have just killed her for shits yeah maybe who's to say no because we learn about snape's thing he was gonna be nice to snape for one time remember that's the reason he doesn't kill lily you're right that he would have done it but snape did all of his crying and begging and pleading and Voldemort was like i'll be nice this one time i'll just kill her whole family we'll just kill everyone else <laughs> i won't kill her all right let's move on harry and coral they're wrestling there's burning ah! <laughs> and harry clearly does not murder his professor there's He's rolling around dead. there's burning like the harry is not like gouging his thumbs into his eyes or whatever <laughs> that happens in the movie <laughs> right so harry does not murder uh his professor so that's fine uh we wake up and dumbledore's face swims into view this was so well written right like you the transition between the battle with quarrel to like the grabbing of the snitch but they're actually just dumbledore's glasses to dumbledore being there very well written and we are in the hospital wing with Dumbledore, who he just makes so many fun jokes about, like, Madame Pomfrey allowing him to be in there as if she could stop him from being in yeah. there. That was cute. Um, I don't know how to describe this properly other than this is very stereotypically fantasy story-esque. We have the wise old person explaining to the protagonist and the reader what has happened. Because this is a lot of book, like there's a lot of magic in this book. It's a fantasy world. And no matter how much showing and not telling you want to do, uh, we're going to need a little bit of telling to feel satisfied with the story or also have no idea what's going on. So functionally, this should be pretty boring stuff. Like it should be like a lot of just Dumbledore telling us what happened because 11 year old Harry wouldn't know. And yet, and yet, I want to say if I was trying to pick the 50 most iconic lines that I've ever read in any literature, we'll call like 10 or 12 would come from Harry Potter, maybe. Like, I'll just pick that as a random number. A six or seven are coming from this chapter. It is so it's good. Crazy. It is, there's no, this chapter has no right to be this good, considering it's just functional exposition. And yet it's just incredible. Yeah, I feel like I've mentioned this before. I don't remember what episode it would have been. JK is so good at writing differently for each of her characters. Like, Harry... Um, has his own way of speaking. He's sassy as fuck. Ron has his own way of speaking. And, and so do all of the other characters. But Dumbledore, I think, has the most interesting way of speaking because he is so smart, but he's also very whimsical. Yeah. Oh, I was just, I was holding onto the word whimsical just to throw that in yeah. at the end. But yeah, that's exactly right. But, it's, but he whimsical people can be serious too. So as soon as... You know, it finally comes time for Dumbledore to, like, fess up and be like, all right, okay, here's what's going on. He's still, the things that he says still have these kind of light, 
qualities to them. You don't feel like you're getting bogged down in the things that he's saying, but they're still like so on the nose and so wise. I just love the way that she writes Dumbledore, especially in the first few books. Yeah, I think the way Dumbledore is written in this chapter is the best writing of the book. I don't think it's the best writing of the whole series because obviously she just improves her craft immensely over writing seven of these books. But yeah, this chapter is just incredibly well written from start to finish. Uh, I don't no weird perspective jumping is a helpful thing to, <laughs> to have as well. Uh, let's just go through the highlights. Um, the first thing yeah. that was so funny and there's just so much levity and like what happened is a secret. So naturally, the whole school knows was so good. <laughs> like he's kind of just admitting like, Harry, the security here is bullshit, man. Like we say it's the safest place. And uh, like, everyone knows everything. There's. Right, you oh, almost yeah. got killed by the Dark Lord, and everyone already knows. And there's nothing. I hands up. I there's nothing I can do to stop it. So I just enjoyed that line a lot. Um, my favorite line in this chapter is actually, "You did do the thing properly, didn't you?" Um, that's I my favorite. That that's my favorite line in the whole chapter because again, it doesn't bog you down, and it doesn't like he knows he's talking to an 11 year old, and like we're reading this as 11 year olds, and so he's like, it's not like. Yo, you did go into the chamber and do the challenges. And it was just like, uh, like you did do the thing properly. Like, of course you did. Like, you you did it proper. Like, he doesn't have to explain any more than that. And it just hits so hard. There's another line in book six when they're in the cave um, where it just says, like, this place has known magic. And that's my, like, second favorite line ever, right? And you're just like, oh, my God. Because you don't have to explain what that means. It just uh, fucking slaps as a line. So that's, yeah, my favorite line in this chapter is you did do the thing properly, didn't you? But let's go through the highlights. To the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. Uh, humans do have a knack of choosing precisely those things which are worse for them. Mm -hmm. crazy. Um, it will merely take someone else who is prepared to fight what seems a losing battle next time. Absolutely incredible. Um, whatever the always use the proper name for things line is fear of the name fear increases the fear of the thing itself. Like Jesus Christ, just, just line after line after line, top tier writing. So good. Oh, you forgot one. I'm just going. Alas, earwax. Oh yeah, sure. I wonder <laughs> how I missed it to be honest. No, I, yeah, he just, he's just spitting fire in this one not a phrase i use often but <laughs> i but think also, a context in which that would be an yeah. appropriate thing to say outside of this podcast yeah karaoke I do, night i don't know uh, um oh god what was i gonna say now i'm distracted by going by thinking about going to karaoke i'm sorry um, uh, what i will say <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll continue and then you can come back to it when it gets to you what I love about this chapter is simply that it is Dumbledore taking the opportunity to explain to Harry what happened. But but it's not just that simple. Like there's still all the intrigue of what Dumbledore is not telling Harry. And, and in this chapter, it's even more specific because he explains to Harry that there are things he can't tell him and that he'll tell him when he's ready. Um, but it's just enough to give us the context we need to understand the story, but not so much that the magic is ruined. Like there still needs to be some things that are magical and unexplained in that sense, but also leave us enough things that we're wondering for the next book. Like we still need to wonder for the next book, like where that's where the line, um, it'll merely take someone else who's prepared to fight what seems a losing battle. And like, maybe if he's delayed again and again, maybe he'll never come back. Like that's enough of an interest to be like, Oh shit, is he going to come back next book? We'll mm -hmm. have to find out like who, who in the next book is going to try and fight the losing fight. Turns out it's just Harry seven times, but that's okay. Yeah. 
right? And so, like, there's enough mystery there to keep us interested in what's going to happen in the next book while still adequately explaining what's happened in this one without any of, any of it feeling weird or out of place or it's like, it, like it was said by the wrong character or anything like that. It's exquisitely done. Yeah, and I just love how so much of it seems to form Harry's worldview going forward. Like, this scene has an impact on us, has an impact on Harry. Um, like, he just says Voldemort because he doesn't know not to say Voldemort. And then he hears Dumbledore say Voldemort. And that's, like, the first person who hasn't given him shit for it. And that's what he says. Fear of the name only increases uh, fear of the thing itself. Harry's like, huh, okay. And then he traumatizes everyone for the next seven <laughs> He years. does. Like, he, he fully commits. Voldemort. Yeah, he fully and then, commits. And then, like, the death is but life's next great adventure. Like, Harry is like... Yeah, fuck it. I'll do it. If I die, I die. Yeah, and this is again so exquisitely done. I think the 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 end of book seven, where Harry walks into the forest, is is the one thing that I think J.K. said this, but the one thing I really feel was planned from the beginning. How exactly we got there? I think there are a lot of things that are made up along the way and then retroactively applied in a way that makes sense. Um, But I think that walk into the forest and Harry needing to choose to die uh, as the end of the story was always something that was at least on her mind because this chapter sets that up so perfectly. And I think it's such a good like this chapter also just gives you a great worldview for an 11 year old. Right. Like Mm -hmm. it, it acknowledges that like, hey, 11 year old in this world, there's a lot going on. Right. Some of it's great and you're going to love it. Some of it's awful and you're going to hate it. There are good people. There are evil people. There are greedy people. There's the power line. Like a lot of people are just going to chase power and call you too weak to take it. But don't be like that guy. Be like Harry and go and fight in the mirror or whatever Harry does. Right? Like Go and do that. Yeah. Be that person instead. And so I think this chapter just leaves you with such a great worldview to kind of take into your, what would it be, yeah, your tween and teenage years if you're reading this book yeah. along with Harry. Yeah, I just it's so it's so good. And it's well done in the movie too. I think it's a little lighter in the movie. Um I think Dumbledore actually like he gets into some heavy stuff like he's like, yeah, straight up Nicholas will die. And they have wills. It's fine. Um the question I have though um was Dumbledore says that James saved Snape's life. Yeah, from um, Sirius, who was going to put Snape in the tree with Lupin. And James got uh, word of it and was like, no, 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 no. Again, retroactively applied in book three, okay. but like very, very well done. I, I, I could not remember that. So I was like, what happened? Yeah. I mean, there's a very thin line between foreshadowing and retroactively applying things. And I'm telling you, JK is so good at it. I think the love magic really is the one outlier that doesn't work for me. But all of the rest of this stuff, because you don't need to know what, what whether JK knew how James saved Snape's life. If it comes up again, it's great. If it doesn't come up again, also fine. But that that's the canonical reason that we get in the book three, maybe, mm-hmm. is the werewolf prank. Yeah. And then the one other thing that I really loved about this scene is though, even though Harry's on that, uh, De- well, he was on death's door, he's still sassy as fuck. Cause he's asking Dumbledore about Snape and he's like, but Snape was going to do this. And Dumbledore's like, professor Snape, Harry. Oh, he's I like, love that. Yes, too. yes, him. 
and I'm like, Oof. yeah, that was the line I wrote down too. So yes, yes, it's him. <laughs> like whatever you want to, I'm not calling him professor, sir. Because <laughs> like, he called him Professor Snape. Which again is so stupid book. because Harry was just told, like factually, that Snape was actively trying to save his life, and it's like, yes, Snape does hate you, but he is like he gets told exactly what Snape's deal is twice in this chapter yep. and none yep. of it sticks in his noggin zero of it sticks up here like it all just vroom, right out of his head <laughs> like by the by the beginning of next book we're already back on the snape's trying to kill me thing and it's like no he's really not man he's just a douche People he's, he's very terrible he's an awful person who does hate you and as an adult should not be teaching children like if you are hating children because you didn't like no. their dad that is bad however it is not the same as wanting to then kill those children. Kill the child. Yeah. Oh, oh, Harry. But then, if if you think that you're like already emotionally going through it with all of this information, then Hagrid comes into the hospital wing. And I, I don't know about you, I teared up when I was reading the scene. I cried everything though. I unsurprisingly did not cry reading this chapter, but that is emotional. I won't take that away from anyone. It's, it's Hagrid showing up as emotional. I think the problem is just when you read it five million times, it's yeah. like, oh, here's the person. <laughs> like Hagrid comes in, he's crying, and he's like, I, I ruined everything. I should be fired. I, it's like, yeah, you know, like when you read it as an eleven-year-old, you're like, no, 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 Hagrid, it's okay. You did your best. You're trying so hard. And now as an adult, I'm like, yeah. You should have been fired for that. You're not wrong. You did kind of fuck it up. And you should not have sold... You should not have sold the secret to the dog for an illegal dragon egg. Like You were selling state secrets to dark wizards for illegal contraband. Directly putting the 11-year-olds in danger. It's like, yeah, I just find it harder to be emotional for Hagrid when now... Like, just like doing this yeah. podcast where I have to decide whether I'm firing teachers. I've already dinged Hagrid for all those things in previous chapters. But yeah, it is emotional. Like Hagrid showing up is emotional. And when I was a lot younger, you you feel so bad for him. Yeah. And, and so that like him confessing and, and saying how he feels so bad and that didn't really get me. Cause obviously like there is a level of accountability you have to take, which he's taking. That's good. Um, and he's explaining like, I really wish I hadn't done the things that I had done. But then he gives Harry the family photo album. And my the, heart just broke into a the million. For, the photo pieces. album is adorable. Absolutely absolutely adorable. Because like how long would it have taken? But he had the forethought to like write to Harry's parents' old school friends to get those photos. Because lest we forget, James and Lily were 21 when they died. And a lot of their friends died in the first Wizarding War. So there probably aren't that many pictures of them. And they would all be teenagers. And that made me extremely sad. So I was just sad. I also like how Dumbledore <laughs> gave him the day off to do it. Like, yeah. <laughs> like he should have fired me, but he gave me the day off. He gave me a PTO day. For a scrapbooking. For a scrapbooking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do we want to move on to the to the Great Hall? Are we? I should yeah. acknowledge really quick that I thought all of the Nicholas and Perrinell stuff was really wonderful, and I loved all of it. Death is the ne life's next great adventure, and all the rest. I just don't know if I have anything more to say other than I loved it. Yeah, I think 
It's one of the first times I think in fiction that death was presented to me as not scary. Yeah. So that kind of. But this part of the worldview for an 11 year old thing, I think this that's exactly right. Like it presents such a good worldview to the younger Mm -hmm. audience about death in this case, which I think is very valuable. Yeah. All right. We're in the great hall. And anyone who's been listening to the podcast (laughs) or any podcast or has met me for five minutes knows that I fucking hate every second of this points bullshit (laughs) And, and it actively irritates me. However, before we get there, before we get there. And I just to be clear, I'm, I'm as happy for Neville as everyone else. It's not his fault that Dumbledore is awful at administrating these points and this competition sucks. But this book, we're going to get to our final thoughts. The biggest achievement of this book is that it is written true to the 11-year-old experience. When Harry looks over at Draco and Draco's like <laughs> slamming his goblet on the table because he's won, right? That's perfect because that's what you would be doing, right? Mm-hmm. However, and Harry goes... And it was sickening. Like he's like gonna vomit because <laughs> Draco is like like just the thought of Draco winning a competition, not individually, but just as part of a collective group, is like actively yeah. like sickening to him. Is the peak eleven year old competitive? Like mm-hmm. it's perfect for Harry. It's perfect for Malfoy. It's perfect for eleven year olds. It's just perfect. Everything about the intro to this sequence is perfect. It's so, yeah, it's great. And you get, like, the background knowledge that everyone's kind of pissed off and Harry missed the Quidditch game, so they lost to Ravenclaw, and nobody is happy going into that room. And you know when you're already in a sour mood and you see something that would kind of, like, you'd ignore on any other day, but then you just see it and you're already pissy and you're like, Yo, fuck that guy in particular. I love that mood going <laughs> Yeah, I. but again, this is working so well because I'm a very competitive yeah. person, which is actually part of why I don't like the points allocation later because I mm. really feel for Slytherin. But there's so much going on here that you can keep digging into as an adult. Like, if you're an adult wanting to, like, understand this more, there's so much trying to figure out, like, Slytherin has won, what, six times in a row or seven? or like, There's a group of kids who has gone through their entire Hogwarts career losing if you're in any house but Slytherin or winning if you're with Slytherin. Like, the only thing you know is winning or losing. Right. Like mm-hmm. mathematically, that is impressive. Like, mm-hmm. that, like, let's put some shine on Slytherin here for a second. Winning that cup six or seven years in a row, how, twice in a row is impressive stuff just mathematically. So that's yeah. incredible. So, yeah, I think we should put some shine on Slytherin here. Like they're putting in the work to win this cup and and we don't appreciate it enough. Competitively, as a competitor, I don't we don't appreciate it enough. Because in these books, Harry just gets to win things because he's Harry Potter, like in this chapter. But before that, when people actually had to earn the things, the the way that the rules were presented, Slytherin was killing it. I mean, they know how to play the game. And that fits in perfectly well with what we know. They're cunning. They're smart. Yeah. And also, Snape never takes points from the Slytherin, and McGonagall certainly takes points. Right, from but the but if cup. after if after five losses in a row, the other heads of house aren't willing to play the like. Like if Dumbledore's not stepping oh, in to stop, you know what I mean. Like if Dumbledore is not stepping in to stop Snape, after your yeah. fifth loss in a row, are you telling like McGonagall is also competitive and she's not above the rules? She she yeah. purchased Harry the most expensive possible broomstick <laughs> in this book, which is some illegal giving of gifts to students, which is very bad. We should not be giving gifts to students, you know. So McGonagall's not above breaking the rules either since Quidditch is worth so many points. And so, yeah, I just think Slytherin's doing the work to win this. 
Until it's not enough. Until Dumbledore decides <laughs> that facing down Voldemort is worth points. Now, I want to be clear yeah. what my problem with this is. It is okay. not that Harry, Ron, and Hermione earned points for what they did. It is not that Neville earned points for what he did. It is that in each in each competition, you have to have a set of ground rules by which you compete. Quidditch is earning points. Being in class is earning points. There's a little bit of flexibility in how much points um, you lose or get for these things, like breaking the school rules, losing points, doing well in class, gaining points. We have like a structure that we broadly work within, even if the teachers are messing around with it. There's at least some structure. My problem is in a competition, the opportunities to earn these points need to be equally available to the people. If one house had significantly more students than the other houses, and then they won, that would not be fair because they had more opportunities to earn points due to the higher, they also have more opportunities to lose points, but like a well, a well-oiled machine of, of a greater number would just yeah. win more often because they had more chances to do well in class, more chances, whatever, right? I agree that taking down Voldemort should be worth some house points. Right. But these Gryffindors stumble into it accidentally and the opportunity is not available. Like those, like it's, what is this? 170 yeah. points that are applied? A hundred, 170 points get given out here. Right. The team totals for the entire year are capping at 350 for some people. Right. So we're saying that a third of the points can be given out on the last day for something that was not equally available for all of the people competing. Like that's my problem is like, I don't disagree. But if I'm on Hufflepuff, I'm like, oh, wait a second. I'm sorry that I didn't accidentally stumble into Voldemort. Mm -hmm. And also, they broke a million school rules to go do that. You know what you told us yeah. not to do? Go into that fucking room with the dog. And you know what you definitely told us not to do? Find out from a professor how to get past that dog and discover the secret. Like, mm -hmm. like they should be losing points all the way to finding... Like, if I'm on Hufflepuff, this is all the shit I'm saying. That the okay. amount of rules that were broken... To even get to Quirrell, that's losing points. If I tried to do that, I'm not getting any points, right? So I just think, yeah, the accidentally stumbling into Voldemort, the points not being equally available to all people, is just that it's not competitive. It's not fair. I don't okay. agree with it. Hear me out. I've got some devil's advocate arguments. Sure. Okay. First, um, not everyone's school year experience is the same. Um, so obviously like the magically stumbling into Voldemort, like that's huge chance. Obviously not everyone gets the opportunity to do something about that. Um, but at the same time, there are definitely opportunities for other students to like get points where others wouldn't like say Peeves broke a bunch of shit. I'm sure if you help the teachers fix that, you'd get points. But is that all of a sudden unfair because all of the entire school wasn't there to also help and get points? So like, it makes sense to me that you would, like, award points for a good thing, even if that good thing wasn't available to everyone else. Sure, I can devil's uh, advocate your devil's advocate. Maybe not, I've got another one, but maybe not to the magnitude of 170 points. But it kind of makes sense. But then the other thing was also... Um, there's rumors going around the school that Voldemort's back and you've got to wrangle a bunch of kids and like their teacher is dead. Like Harry almost killed him. Harry almost died. 
but the boy who lived lived again. Like, you either acknowledge it and you make it a good thing, or you hush it down, make them lose points, punish them for breaking rules. And then all of a sudden, the feeling of victory from the students goes into, oh shit, that's actually really dangerous. And so now I'm scared. Sure. I had devil's advocate, both of your devil's advocates. The second one, I just don't think we should have given out points. I think we should have applauded all the, we don't need to damper anything. We don't need, I don't think, I'm not advocating for t taking away the points. I'm just, if I'm mm. a Hufflepuff, that's what I'd be arguing. I don't think we should take away points. I just don't think we should give any additional points. I think we should go mm. like, Harry, great job. Ron, Hermione, fantastic. Neville, good stuff. No points for the House Cup competition, but great work. I am <laughs> glad you took down the Dark Lord. That was students. If you also <laughs> run into the Dark Lord and you can take him down, that's the preferable course of action. Huzzah. Well done. <laughs> Secondly, we have, I, in my job, which is a very creative job, have had to take this point system from Harry Potter and apply it to the real world. So I have a lot yeah. of experience with this applying points unfairly you're right we do the same thing all the time where like if you're near a dining hall and tables need to be set and we pull you to help set the tables right that wasn't equally in that moment not equally available for everybody however we're going first like in that case we're going for statistical equality right so over the course of a week that you spend with us there will be 20 30 40 50 of those opportunities of which we are very conscious which people have been giving those opportunities of which we can then try our best to apply those equally so there is some randomness to it right but it's not to the tune of 170 points which is kind of a separate mm -hmm. point but if we know like okay we have the bears the foxes and the eagles as like our houses mm -hmm. all right so if i know that back-to-back -back times we asked for table setters and the bears got there because they were in the vicinity, right? The next time that that kind of random point stuff is available, we'll do it where the eagles and foxes have a slightly greater chance to earn those points than the bears do. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. we kind of tweak it as we go along to make sure that those are at least statistically, those opportunities are statistically available for everybody so that by the end of the week, every house has had the opportunity to earn the same amount of points, regardless of whether they took up. If you were nearby and you declined... Mm -hmm the table setting that's also fine you just don't get the points but you had the chance does that make sense mm -hmm. but when you do it at the very end for one third of the points for something that was not even on anyone's radar as a potential thing because now in my in my situation you know that's a thing oh this brad guy he loves it when people set the tables he'll give you some points so i'm going to stay by the dining hall near the meal time so that i get you know what i mean like you it's something that people can catch on to and and it becomes yeah. part of the ecosystem this is not that this is a bunch of kids, you know, bamboozled their professor to get past this dog they were told not to get past to go and take out a professor in the Dark Lord for 170 points. It's it's not. I hate this. I'm happy. I, I don't think they should not have gotten points. I think it's worth something. I just don't think it's I think if I am the other houses, I'm furious that this is how the point system is administrated. Yeah, I mean. I love it, and we will disagree on that. I think the only thing I don't like is that the points were awarded while the hall was decorated with Slytherin. Like they didn't, they didn't do it before. They did it. They're like, "Oh, you'd think, congrats, Slytherin," except fuck you. Right, but that's the, that's what I'm it. saying is like the administration of this is so fucking whack because you can have like a it's declared winner where everyone understands. Yep, the points have been tallied. There is a winner. We're done, and then Dumbledore's just allowed to be like. <laughs> 
Look at the time. I am rewriting. I am rewriting the constant. I know you were told that you needed to have your points in by June 30th at six o'clock. But now that it's July 1st at 3 p.m., I've actually extended the deadline and here's 100. Mm -hmm. like, this is my whole problem yeah. is that the administration of these points is whack and bonkers and stupid. And the worst part is, the worst part <laughs> is, like, I think it's Neville's 10 points that are the most egregious. Yeah. Like, I think that's the problem, too, is like the one the one that you feel the best for. Like, Neville most earned those points. Mm -hmm. he most earned it i'm so happy for him and if i want to keep any of the points it's those ones but they're also like the most egregiously administrated and so it's like oh like <laughs> like you don't like you cannot have a situation by which you get points for like stunning or like attempting to <laughs> stay because then you would just create situations in which that's possible this is more of an ecosystem yeah. problem now all the other houses what they've learned is that like, i'm gonna pretend to do something really dangerous and you're going to pretend to stop me. And Dumbledore's going to love that shit. And we're going to get right. You've created now an ecosystem whereby students will be going out into the world, either actually mm. doing things they're not meant to do or pretending to in the hopes that someone will stand up to them. And all right, like it's just a bad ecosystem decision. Anyways. Yeah, I'm happy for Neville. Sorry, I'm done. My rant on the points. I'm happy for Neville. I'm, yeah, he finally like. After all year of getting shit on, regardless of how you feel about him getting the points and the amount of the points and what it could spawn in terms of future behavior, fuck yeah, Neville. That's exactly like, get right. Get yours. Yeah. Be the reason they win the House Cup. I believe in you. You're a sweetheart. So, you could so never once do Dumbledore wrong. commits to administering these points, the order in which he does so is perfect. Leaving Neville's yes. till the end is perfect. That's the best choice. And I think it's the best choice narratively and from a, this is a good worldview for 11 year olds, right? Like you're trying to teach them mm -hmm. like all that other cool shit that didn't win anything. It got them close, but it was Neville just doing the right thing when the yeah. stakes were really high for him. And, and, and the situation was not something as glorious as taking out the dark Lord. The, the situation was like standing up to your friends, which was very difficult. Like that is the thing that is most important out of what happened. That decision is immaculate from a narrative and a real world perspective. That's great. Love that. Yeah. And then the, and then the line itself, like it's another Dumbledore banger. It's like, there are all kinds of courage, but it takes a great, it takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to our enemies, but a great deal more to stand up to our friends. Yeah. Which... And that that's still true. And I'm someone who does not, I'm someone who does not struggle much with telling people when they fucked up like i actually hold my friends to quite a high standard right and like, that does not bother me and yet even just this year i was for those of you who are listening i am someone who does not smoke a lot however once i've had a drinky winky if someone has smokes i'll have a cigarette they're fine you know what i mean like i i don't get addicted to things really so it's mm. not like i don't have to worry about then becoming a smoker like that's not going to happen but I'll indulge a little bit. And I remember I was just a little bit wasted. We just went to the bar or whatever. And we were having a smoke. And we are just in the streets of Vancouver. And then when you're in Vancouver City, there's just so many reasonable options. And the person I was with just, like, threw their cigarette butt onto the road. And I just remember this, like, I have to fucking do something about it, don't I? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, even something so low stakes. Like, what's going to happen is I'm going to tell yeah. them not to do that. Like, we're not littering. Like, we're just not doing that. Like, we're just not littering. Like, go get it and we'll throw it in the garbage. Like, that's not... When you're not with me, fine, but like we're not doing. And yeah, it's low stakes. It's completely reasonable. Everyone understands it's a bad decision. And everyone would go, good work, Brad. That is the right thing to do. It's like stand up to your friend. And yet in the moment, as a 28-year-old person who does this often, 
who was definitely friend. I had no stakes. The stakes were so low. This was clearly a bad choice. Clearly something I should say something about. Something the other person would be like, oh shit, yeah, you're right. Why did I do that? You know what I mean? There was no worry that this was going to spiral anywhere else. But in the, and yet my initial gut reaction was like, oh, why are you making me, like, why are you making me tell you off? Like, why can't, so even, yeah, this is why the world's view is great. Because even as an adult, when the stakes are low, it's hard to stand up to your friends. Never mind when you know they're about to sneak out and lose points and ruin things for your house and all the rest. Neville's an oh, Neville's awesome. And they're also like his only almost friends. They're not even really his friends. Yeah, this is like, the stakes for him are sky high. He has no friends. So high. <laughs> yeah, the skate the stakes for him well, personally are sky high, and he still does the thing. Where like even this year, I had a moment where the stakes were like very low and i did end up doing the thing but it still mm-hmm. sucked right like I, oh, I i haven't even hit neville's level of whatever i haven't hit the neville level yet as an adult who's not even particularly afraid of standing up to his friends it still sucks oh yeah no like even the people i'm closest to even sometimes my sister who i you guys won't know this i talk to my sister at least three times a day we are very close and sometimes she does things I'm like and I really have to work it up to like get myself to say something. Yeah, so, you have to like go oh, through the whole. Yeah, I don't want to like embarrass her, so I'm not going to tell any of the stories. <laughs> but um, all to say, just gives me huge respect for this fictional 11 year old. He kicks ass, and I love him. Yeah. A side note: I can't imagine talking to either of my brothers three times a day. Oh my god. Oh yeah, we're really annoying. And she wants to see pictures of the dog almost constantly. So I count that as a small conversation. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> I think that's mostly the end of this chapter. Harry leaves Hogwarts. They have a fun on the train. It's great. They get to the train station. Vernon Dursley's there and he like intimidates everyone. We get some Ginny Weasley foreshadowing. Book six, Ginny is my favorite part about the Harry Potter series. It was the yes. first time I read a fictional character. I was like, that's hot as fuck. And so, like, I was like, I'm so in on book six, Ginny. Uh, so the the Ginny kind of liking Harry thing right here is the first I'm going to point about every time because we're just building to the moment in book six where Ginny wins the Quidditch Cup and comes yeah. in and just like yoinks Harry and starts making out. And I was like, what a power move, boss bitch energy, like coming in there. That's one of my favorite <laughs> moments in any book I've ever read. When that first happened, I remember being like, yes, no, Ginny. Because oh, you just expect Harry to be the one to figure it out. But of course not. Oh, of no. course it's not Harry. It's Ginny who's going to yeah, be he, like, I thank you, sir. You are now mine, actually. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, am picking I am picking the chosen one as my companion yeah. and everyone else can fuck off. Like, I just <laughs> so this is the first moment in which that happens. It's the first step on a long staircase that ends with the best moment in Harry Potter. Yeah, I, I do love Ginny. And then I do love that I almost didn't realize it was like right the end of the book where Harry just says, Dursleys don't know I can't do magic. I'm going to have fun with Dudley. And then the book just fucking ends. Yeah, it's really funny. I was like, I'm going to fuck with this guy. Oh, yeah, that's the end of it? I Yeah, I turned because on my copy, that's the fully end of the page. So I turned the page to look for more. And I'm like, oh, it's over. Um, so I thought that was really funny. Yeah, my last note, I have two notes. One, Snape Snape shaking McGonagall's hand after that loss. I wouldn't be shaking any hands. I'd be fuming. I would have left the table in protest of the points administration. 
separately. Um, it seems as though life would be back to normal next year. <laughs> oh, Harry. You just got to read your own books, my guy. Come on. What are we doing? Oh it's back to normal. People are going to get almost murdered by a giant snake and possessed and horcruxes. And like next year's worse. Yeah. Yeah. Next year's worse. Third year is less bad because the threat isn't actually real. Third less year's... bad, but not as much because the Dementors. The Dementors are bad, but be... I think the... I think Dementors end up being neutral because Harry learning how to get rid of the Dementors is almost necessary. So like what Harry gets mm. out of the Dementors is worth them being there in a weird uh... roundabout kind of fucked up way. And and then Sirius was never actually a threat to Harry. So that's not as yeah. bad in book three. It feels bad, but it's not as bad. Book four is worse. Voldemort comes back. That's bad. <laughs> on the scale of good to bad. On a scale, on a very linear scale of good to bad. We got this book and the next book is far worse. And then we're going to back up slightly for book three. Right. Harry doesn't actually need to show down with Voldemort in book three. So I actually think book mm. three might be better than this one in terms of the situation Harry ends up in. And then book four, we're just... Mm -hmm. And then the scale uh, yeah. just extends. We're off the scale, and then it just never comes back. You can, like, get to the top of the roller coaster, and the rest is just falling <laughs> yeah, for the next yeah, four yeah, yeah, books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so next book, next... So, like, yeah, we've gone up... We've we've kind of gone up a hill, and we're, we're slowly going down. And then next book, we're going to go down a little bit faster. And then by book three, we're going to crawl... The whole All of book three is just crawling up the chain Please. again. Just a whole oh, book of crawling no. up the chain, and then uh, four, five, six, and seven are just, it's just straight down. <laughs> like a yeah, yeah. I like that. Okay, cool. that's a good analogy. Wonderful. Okay. Do we have anything else? Oh, chapter winners. How are we doing? Oh, we got we got like twenty minutes to do this. We're great. We're killing it. Oh, chapter wow. chapter winners. I'm gonna go. I'll go first this time. Uh, my chapter winner. I want to give it to Harry Potter. I do want to give it to Harry Potter, but I can't get around the fact that he his cleverness was taking... He is clever, but he kind of took the easy wins, and I think he is a winner in this chapter. However, I think the biggest winner, if I'm... It's hard, because if I'm going just by this chapter, it's certainly Harry Potter, and there's no doubt. It's hard to know what the rules of this award are. And I know this is kind of biased because I'm trying to see how many times Harry wins. So every time I give it to him, I'm like, am I giving it to him because I don't want to seem biased? And every time I don't, I'm like, is this just proving my bias? So I'm always in a twist. I think narratively, on the whole, Dumbledore is the big winner of this chapter. I think any anything Harry learns that is new, he gets from Dumbledore in the little exposition dump. Right. Anything Harry did to take down Voldemort was a lot of bravery and courage, but it was it was bravery and courage that was kind of coming up in the situation kind of naturally. And Dumbledore not having any repercussions for his weird administration in this chapter, like going and leaving and coming back. He's back in time to save Harry Potter, which was good. I just think he he's Harry in this moment. This is part of a plan. And so Harry in this moment Going in and showing that bravery and courage allows Dumbledore to commit more to this master plan, which does end up working and getting rid of Voldemort in the end. And I, I just think that narratively for the whole thing, Dumbledore is going to take this moment and and apply it to the plan 
to to get rid of Voldemort, which I think narratively is the bigger win, even though in, within the bounds of this chapter, undeniably Harry's the winner. I might change my mind on this when I go and account for it. Like if Harry loses my competition by one, by one, I'll come back to this chapter and apply it to Harry Potter because I think I think within the chapter he's clearly the winner. But I think narratively, it's Dumbledore for me. And I prefer this because it's the first book in a series. I prefer yeah. the narrative outlook on this one, I think. So so you would change this one and not the one a couple episodes ago that you gave to Ron for not being there. This is the <laughs> one I can change your mind on. No, I'm, I'm, this is the one. I think Harry Moore. Yeah, no, hold up. I'm defending that. Ron is the winner of that chapter because he is technically in the chapter. Right. I think I think that would be egregious if Ron was not in the chapter. Right. If he does not appear in the chapter physically, then that's egregious. But he was physically in the chapter at the very end. And yeah, no, if you're not in the Forbidden Forest, you are clearly winning that chapter. I don't know. I have no compunction about that. That is staying exactly how it is. He is the winner of that chapter. Undeniably, this chapter, it's definitely Harry. But I, I think narratively, it's Dumbledore. And I think within this chapter, Dumbledore, and yeah, Dumbledore is the one that, that gives Harry all of these awesome life lessons and all of these amazing quotes and all the rest of it that I really love about it. And I think I love Dumbledore's contribution to the narrative at the end and to the rest of the story than I do Harry's courage and bravery as much as it's great in the thing with the mirror. Mm. Okay, so I just I just went with the chapter and not the whole book. Which is fair. I think that's how um, you're meant to do it. I think I'm the one that's cheating here. I think you're the one that's right. And, and I mean, like, I, I'm not keeping track. I don't have the spreadsheet. I don't know how many I've given to Harry. Um, I'm just trying to give it to um, the character who I felt accomplished the most in a chapter, whether it be, like, a kind of an external accomplishment like Harry winning a Quidditch game or an internal accomplishment, like, I don't know, like realizing something about yourself or having significant growth, like when I gave it to Neville. Uh, so for this one, for so for internal external reasons, I would give this one to Harry. Um, I do think he was very clever. He was opportunistic when he needed to be. Um, and yeah, he did need help. He did eventually need to be saved, but he's fucking 11, man. Of course he's going to need help. But that doesn't kind of take away from the fact that he was able to single-handedly distract, stall, and then prevent the Dark Lord and a fully adult man <laughs> from reaching into his pocket for long enough for Dumbledore to get there. Uh, and we could talk about like the silliness of it all. Like He wouldn't have been able to even get the stone at all if Harry hadn't shown up. That was just a narrative choice. Harry had to meet Voldemort, but he, you know, Hermione gassed him up before he went in the room and he went in there and he's like, yeah, you know what? I can do this. And he did it. And then he won the house cup by totally normal and completely fair rules. So. <laughs> fair enough. All right. Uh, chapter winner, place thing, concept or theme. I'm going to go with The Feast. And you might be like, wait a second. Do you not dunk on The Feast just 10 seconds ago? <laughs> not The Feast. The specific points administration is what my argument is with. It's a very specific problem. The Feast is so cool. The The Grand Hall is cool. The way it's decorated in the color of the... Not the winning house, I suppose, because Dumbledore just changes the rules. But the way, like... 
this house cup kind of we i've completely stolen this for my real life job where the winner of our challenge each week we have a big party at the end of each week we deck out our whole facility in the colors of the team that won based on this chapter this chapter has had a real life impact in the way i go about programming things for children which is my real life job and for that it has to be the winner like i is the thing i took from harry potter and applied to real life to make sure children have a good time like that that that's just the winner for mm -hmm. me the feast has inspired me creatively in the real world which is bonkers so the feast wins yeah i mean i would love to have an endless buffet of magical food and floating candles Haven't i think we're talking about that, that at work yet i tried to do the endless buffet and then the people who do the budget were like hey you can't actually eat. I was like oh <laughs> that's not please fun. don't <laughs> yeah, please don't spend all our money on this food yeah um, so I, uh, yeah, as is kind of my want, I, uh, I again went with more of a theme. I was a little strung up on this one because I had a few ideas I wanted to talk about. So I went with the idea of unveiling. Um, and as always, there's a double meaning because you've got, uh, Coral slowly, tantalizingly removing his turban. Uh, but then you also have finally all of the plots from the year, you'd like, getting revealed before you finally like the denouement of of everything um so coral explains what he was doing with snape dumbledore explains what he was doing with the philosopher's stone um and then you know we also get the sense that well no, dumbledore straight up tells us even though you're getting the, the truth about a lot of this now there's still more that i can't tell you and so Terry is starting to learn that, you know, there's there's more behind a surface truth. So I really liked the idea that it like everyone kind of coming clean and, and just the visual of Quirrell taking off his turban gave me the, the word for unveiling. Wonderful. I think because we're stuck for time, I think here's what we're going to do, Rachel. I okay. think we are going to decide after this podcast whether we want to do wrap-up thoughts and a movie as a podcast together or whether mm -hmm. we want to do them as two separate podcasts. Because I think, I, here's what I think off the fly. We should do a wrap-up thoughts about the book and an awards for the book. Like a real Ooh. proper awards ceremony for each book. I think that'd be fun. And then we'll do the movie adaptation and then we'll move on to Chamber of Secrets. I think it's where my head is at right now. In any case, we'll discuss this in a minute. If you're listening, we will have some kind of chapter or book wrap up, whether it's awards or just a discussion. We will wrap up this book as a whole novel, how we felt about it, what we loved, what we didn't like, how it sits with our culture. How fun was it to revisit doing this podcast? Like it's a very different way to read a book. So that'll happen. There will also be discussion about the film before we move on to the next book. We need to see how was this adapted? How did that change our lives? Like, what was that like? So I, I want to talk about this movie before we move on to Chamber of Secrets. Once both of those are done, whether they're separate podcasts or the same podcast, we will then move on to Chapter 1 of Chamber of Secrets, and we'll zoom through there. And spoiler, I love almost everything about that book except for the Death Day Party thing. I think that, oh. yeah, I think that was a little weird, but hey. We're we're out of the we're out of the point system problems. <laughs> we're out of the <laughs> semantics and we're into you're into some cooler stuff in book two, I think. So Yeah, I mean I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I mean covering this book even was was so much fun. And I could will probably eventually talk all of your ears off about how much fun it was, but I also can't wait to get into dangerous 
snakes. <laughs> yeah, I think book two does it. It's interesting because I think book one is is more my favorite book because of the whimsy of learning about the wizarding world for the first time. But book two, you're getting into like duels and snakes and Tom Riddle and like the Chamber of Secrets. Like you're really digging into the magic of the world. Fox, there's a phoenix, right? Like you're just getting into yeah. more of that stuff, which I think I like more. Yeah, like the meat and potatoes of it. Yeah, it's more magic. It's there's more like magical shit happening, I think. Anyways, let's let's not overdo our welcome here. Thank you all for listening. You, you could leave a review. You could send us name email. These are all things we'd like you to do. You don't have to do them, but we'd like you to. Uh, feel free to check out the show notes for any other cool stuff that is there. We appreciate you listening. Thank you so much, and we'll see you in the next one.